0: chapter 14 of sir gibby this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org sir gibby by george macdonald chapter 14 horny it was now time he should resume his journey up darside and he set out to follow the burn that he might regain the river it led him into a fine meadow, where a number of cattle were feeding. The meadow was not fenced, little more than marked off, indeed, upon one side, from a field of growing corn, by a low wall of earth, covered with moss and grass and flowers. The cattle were therefore herded by a boy, whom Gibby recognized, even in the distance, as him by whose countenance he had been so much attracted, when, like an old deity on a cloud, he lay spying through the crack in the ceiling the boy was reading a book from which every now and then he lifted his eyes to glance around him and see whether any of the cows or heifers or stirks were wandering beyond their pasture of rye-grass and clover having them all before him therefore no occasion to look behind him he did not see gibbie approaching but as soon as he seemed thoroughly occupied a certain black cow with short sharp horns and a wicked look which had been gradually as was her wont, edging nearer and nearer to the corn, turned suddenly and ran for it, jumped the dyke, and plunging into a mad revelry of greed, tore and devoured with all the haste, not merely of one insecure, but of one that knew she was stealing. Now Gibby had been observant enough during his travels to learn that this was against the law and custom of the country, that it was not permitted to a cow to go into a field where there were no others, and like a shot, he was after the black marauder. The same instant the herd-boy, too, lifting his eyes from his book, saw her, and springing to his feet, caught up his great stick, and ran also, he had more than one reason to run, for he understood only too well the dangerous temper of the cow, and saw that Gibby was a mere child, and unarmed, an object most provocative of attack to horny so named indeed because of her readiness to use the weapons with which nature had provided her. She was, in fact, a malicious cow, but that she was a splendid milker would have been long ago fatted up and sent to the butcher. The boy, as he ran full speed to the rescue, kept shouting to warn Gibby from his purpose, but Gibby was too intent to understand the sounds he uttered and supposed them addressed to the cow. With the fearless service that belonged to his very being, he ran straight at Horny, and, having nothing to strike her with, flung himself against her with a great shove towards the dyke. Horny, absorbed in her delicious robbery, neither heard nor saw before she felt him, and, startled by the sudden attack, turned tail. It was but for a moment. In turning, she caught sight of her ruler, scepter in hand at some little distance, and turned again either to have another mouthful, or in the mere instinct to escape him. Then she caught sight of the insignificant object that had scared her, and in contemptuous indignation lowered her head between her forefeet, and was just making a rush at Gibby when a stone struck her on a horn, and the next moment the herd came up, and with a storm of fiercest blows delivered with the full might of his arm, drove her in absolute rout back into the meadow. Drawing himself up in the unconscious majesty of success, Donald Grant looked down upon Gibby, but with eyes of admiration. Heath greater,' he said. "Ye're merrow a man, nor ye look thee seven year. What guard ye rinna the devil's very horns that gate?' Gibby stood smiling. hadn't hadna been for my club, we wad baith be o'er the moon gain this time. What ca' the ye man?' Still Gibby only smiled. "'Where come ye, Frey? "'What's your folk?' "'Where did ye bide?' Hey, na no, ye a tongue o' your head, "'ye rascal!' Gibby burst out laughing, "'and his eyes sparkled and shone. "'He was delighted with the herd-boy, "'and it was so long since he had heard "'human speech addressed to himself. "'The greatest feel foolish,' "'concluded Donal to himself pityingly. "'Poor thing!' "'Poor thing,' he added aloud, and laid his hand on Gibby's head. "'It was but the second touch of kindness Gibby had received since he was the dog's guest. "'Had he been acquainted with the bastard emotion of self-pity, he would have wept. "'As he was unaware of hardship in his lot, discontent in his heart, or discord in his feeling, "'his emotion was one of unmingled delight, and embodied itself in a perfect smile.' Come, cratur, and I'll give ye a piece. Ye ablins understand that, said Donal, as he turned to leave the corn for the grass, where Horny was eating with the rest like the most innocent of humle, hornless, animals. Gibby obeyed and followed, as with slow step and down-bent face Donal led the way. For he had tucked his club under his arm, and already his greedy eyes were fixed on the book he had carried all the time. Nor did he take them from it until followed in full and patient content by gibbie he had almost reached the middle of the field some distance from Horney and her companions when stopping abruptly short he began without lifting his head to cast glances on this side and that i hope none of them swallowed my napkin he said musingly i no sure what i was sitting i hae my place in the book but i do i hae tinned my place in the girls." Long before he had ended, for he spoke with utter deliberation, Gibby was yards away, flitting hither and thither like a butterfly. A minute more, and Donal saw him pounce upon his bundle, which he brought to him in triumph. "'Fegs, you know the gowk I took ye for,' said Donal meditatively. Whether Gibby took the remark for a compliment, or merely was gratified that Donal was pleased, the result was a merry laugh.' The bundle had in it a piece of hard cheese, such as Gibby had already made acquaintance with, and a few quarters of cakes. One of these, Donald broke in two, gave Gibby the half, replaced the other, and sat down again to his book, this time with his back against the fell dyke, dividing the grass from the corn. Gibby seated himself like a Turk, with his bare legs crossed under him, a few yards off, where in silence and absolute content he ate his piece and gravely regarded him. His human soul had of late been starved, even more than his body, and that from no fastidiousness, and it was paradise again to be in such company. Never since his father's death had he looked on a face that drew him as Donal's. It was fair of complexion by nature, but the sun had burned it brown, and it was covered with freckles. Its forehead was high, with a mass of foxy hair over it, and under it two keen hazel eyes, in which the green predominated over the brown. Its nose was long and solemn over his well-made mouth, which rarely smiled, but not unfrequently trembled with emotion over his book. For age, Donal was getting towards fifteen, and was strongly built and well-grown. A general look of honesty and an attractive expression of reposeful friendliness pervaded his whole appearance. "'Conscientious in regard to his work, "'he was yet in danger of forgetting his duty "'for minutes together in his book. "'The chief evil that resulted from it "'was such an occasional inroad on the corn "'as had that morning taken place, "'and many were Donal's self-reproaches ere he got to sleep "'when that had fallen out during the day. "'He knew his master would threaten him with dismissal "'if he came upon him reading in the field, "'but he knew also his master was well aware "'that he did read, "'and that it was possible to read,' and yet heard well it was easy enough in this same meadow on one side ran the lorry on another was a stone wall and on the third a ditch only the cornfield lay virtually unprotected and there he had to be himself the boundary and now he sat leaning against the dyke as if he held so a position of special defence but he knew well enough that the dullest calf could outflank him and invade, for a few moments at the least, the forbidden pleasure-ground. He had gained an ally, however, whose faculty and faithfulness he little knew yet, for Gibby had begun to comprehend the situation. He could not comprehend why or how any one should be absorbed in a book, for all he knew of books was from his one morning of dame-schooling. But he could comprehend that, if one's attention were so occupied, it must be a great vex to be interrupted continually by the ever-waking desires of his charge after dainties therefore as donal watched his book gibbie for donal's sake watched the herd and as he did so gently possessed himself of donal's club nor had many minutes passed before donal raising his head to look saw the cursed cow again in the green corn and gibbie manfully encountering her with the club "'hitting her hard upon head and horns "'and deftly avoiding every rush she made at him. "'Gay hurt to pull the nose!' Donal shouted in terror as he ran full speed to his aid, "'abusing Horny in terms of fiercest vituperation. "'But he needed not have been so apprehensive. "'Gibby heard and obeyed, "'and the next moment Horny had turned tail "'and was fleeing back to the safety of the lawful meadow. Ech, "'But ye mun become a fetchin folk,' said Donal, regarding him with fresh admiration. Gibby laughed, but he had been sorely put to it, and the big drops were coursing fast down his sweet face. Donal took the club from him, and rushing at Horny, belaboured her well, and drove her quite to the other side of the field. He then returned and resumed his book, while Gibby again sat down nearby, and watched both Donal and his charge, the keeper of both herd and cattle.' Surely Gibbie had at last found his vocation on Dar Side, with both man and beast for his special care. By and by, Donal raised his head once more, but this time it was to regard Gibbie and not the nout. It had gradually sunk into him that the appearance and character of the crater were peculiar. He had regarded him as a little tramp whose people were not far off, and who would soon get tired of herding and rejoin his companions. But, while he read, a strange feeling of the presence of the boy had, in spite of the witchery of his book, been growing upon him. He seemed to feel his eyes without seeing them, and when Gibby rose to look how the cattle were distributed, he became vaguely uneasy, lest the boy should be going away, for already he had begun to feel him a humble kind of guardian angel. He had already that day through him enjoyed a longer spell of his book than any day since he had been heard, "'at the manes of Glashruach, "'And now the desire had come to regard him more closely. "'For a minute or two he sat and gazed at him. "'Gibby gazed at him in return, "'and in his eyes the herd-boy looked "'the very type of power and gentleness. "'How he admired even his suit of small-ribbed, "'greenish-colored corduroy, "'the ribs much rubbed and obliterated. "'Then his jacket had round brass buttons.' his trousers had patches instead of holes at the knees their short legs revealed warm woolen stockings and his shoes had their soles full of great broad-headed iron tacks while on his head he had a small round blue bonnet with a red tuft the little outcast on the other hand with his loving face and pure clear eyes bidding fair to be naked altogether before long woke in Donal a divine pity a tenderness like that nestling at the heart of womanhood THE NEGLECTED CREATURE COULD SURELY HAVE NO MOTHER TO SHIELD HIM FROM FROST AND WIND AND RAIN, BUT A STRANGE THING WAS THAT OUT OF THIS PITIFUL TENDERNESS SEEMED TO GROW LIKE ITS BLOSSOM ANOTHER UNLIKE FEELING, NAMELY, THAT HE WAS IN THE PRESENCE OF A BEING OF SOME ORDER SUPERIOR TO HIS OWN, ONE TO WHOM HE WOULD HAVE TO LISTEN IF HE SPOKE, WHO KNEW MORE THAN HE WOULD TELL. BUT THEN DONAL WAS A CELT AND MIGHT BE A POET and the sweet stillness of the child's atmosphere made things bud in his imagination my reader must think how vastly in all his poverty donal was gibbie's superior in the social scale he earned his own food and shelter and nearly four pounds a year besides lived as well as he could wish dressed warm was able for his work and imagined it no hardship then he had a father and mother whom he went to see every saturday AND OF WHOM HE WAS AS PROUD AS SON COULD BE, A FATHER WHO WAS THE PRIEST OF THE FAMILY, AND FED SHEEP, A MOTHER WHO WAS THE PROPHETESS, AND KEPT THE HOUSE EVER AN OPEN REFUGE FOR HER CHILDREN. POOR GIBBIE EARNED NOTHING, NEVER HAD EARNED MORE THAN A PENNY AT A TIME IN HIS LIFE, AND HAD NEVER DREAMED OF HAVING A CLAIM TO SUCH PENNY. NOBODY SEEMED TO CARE FOR HIM, GIVE HIM ANYTHING, DO ANYTHING FOR HIM. YET THERE HE SAT BEFORE DONAL'S EYES. "'full of service, of smiles, of contentment. Donal took up his book, "'but laid it down again and gazed at Gibby. "'Several times he tried to return to his reading, "'but as often resumed his contemplation of the boy. "'At length it struck him as something "'more than shyness would account for "'that he had not yet heard a word from the lips of the child, "'even when running after the cows. "'He must watch him more closely.' By this it was his dinner-time. Again he untied his handkerchief, and gave Gibby what he judged a fair share for his bulk, namely about a third of the whole. Philosopher as he was, however, he could not help sighing a little when he got to the end of his diminished portion. But he was better than comforted when Gibby offered him all that yet remained to him, and the smile with which he refused it made Gibby as happy as a prince would like to be. What a day it had been for Gibby! A whole human being, and some five-and-twenty four-legged creatures besides to take care of. After their dinner, Donal gravitated to his book, and Gibby resumed the executive. Some time had passed when Donal, glancing up, saw Gibby lying flat on his chest, staring at something in the grass. He slid himself quietly nearer, and discovered it was a daisy, one by itself alone. There were not many in the field." like a mother leaning over her child he was gazing at it the daisy was not a cold white one neither was it a red one it was just a perfect daisy it looked as if some gentle hand had taken it while it slept and its star points were all folded together and dipped them just a tiny touchy dip in a molten ruby so that when it opened again there was its crown of silver pointed with rubies all about its golden-sun heart. "'He's been readin' Burns,' said Donal. He forgot that the daisies were before Burns, and that he himself had loved them before ever he heard of him. Now he had not heard of Chaucer, who made love to the daisies four hundred years before Burns. God only knows what gospelers they have been on his middle earth. All its days his daisies have been coming and going. And they are not old yet, nor have worn out yet their lovely garments, though they patch and darn just as little as they toil and spin. Can ye read, creator? asked Donal. Gibby shook his head. Can I ye spake, man? Again Gibby shook his head. Can ye hear? Gibby burst out laughing. He knew that he heard better than other people. Hearken till this then, said Donal. He took his book from the grass and read in a chant, or rather in a lilt, the Danish ballad of Child Dearing, as translated by Sir Walter Scott. Gibby's eyes grew wider and wider as he listened, their pupils dilated, and his lips parted. It seemed as if his soul were looking out of door and windows at once, but a puzzled soul that understood nothing of what it saw. Yet plainly, either the sounds or the thought matter vaguely operative beyond the line where intelligence begins, or it may be the sparkle of individual word or phrase islanded in a chaos of rhythmic motion, wrought somehow upon him, for his attention was fixed as by a spell. When Donal ceased, he remained open-mouthed and motionless for a time. Then... Drawing himself slidingly over the grass to Donal's feet, he raised his head and peeped above his knees at the book. A moment only he gazed and drew back with a hungry sigh. He had seen nothing in the book like what Donal had been drawing from it, as if one should look into the well of which he had just drunk and see there nothing but dry pebbles and sand. The wind blew gentle, the sun shone bright. All nature closed softly round the two, and the soul, whose children they were, was nearer than the one to the other, nearer than sun or wind or daisy or child-dearing. To his amazement, Donal saw the tears gathering in Gibby's eyes. He was as one who gazes into the abyss of God's will, sees only the abyss, cannot see the will, and weeps the child in whom neither cold nor hunger nor nakedness nor loneliness could move a throb of self-pity was moved to tears that a loveliness to him strange and unintelligible had passed away and he had no power to call it back What ye like to hear it again asked donal more than half understanding him instinctively gibbie's face answered with a flash and donal read his poem again and Gibby's delight returned greater than before, for now something like a dawn began to appear among the cloudy words. Donal read it a third time and closed the book, for it was almost the hour for driving the cattle home. He had never yet seen, and perhaps never again did see, such a look of thankful devotion on human countenance as met his lifted eyes. How much Gibby even then understood of the lovely, eerie old ballad it is impossible for me to say. Had he a glimmer of the return of the buried mother? Did he think of his own? I doubt if he had ever thought that he had a mother. But he may have associated the tale with his father and the boots he was always making for him. Certainly it was the beginning of much. But the waking up of a human soul to know itself in the mirror of its thoughts and feelings, its loves and delights oppresses me with so heavy a sense of marvel and inexplicable mystery, that when I imagine myself such as Gibby then was, I cannot imagine myself coming awake. I can hardly believe that, from being such as Gibby was the hour before he heard the ballad, I should ever have come awake. Yet here I am, capable of pleasure unspeakable from that and many another ballad, old and new somehow at one time or another or at many times in one i have at last come awake when by slow filmy unveilings life grew clearer to gibbie and he not only knew but knew that he knew his thoughts always went back to that day in the meadow with donald grant as the beginning of his knowledge of beautiful things in the world of man then first he saw nature reflected narcissus-like in the mirror of her humanity, her highest self. But when or how the change in him began, the turn of the balance, the first push towards life of the ever more invisible germ, of that he remained, much as he wondered, often as he searched his consciousness, as ignorant to the last as I am now. Sometimes he was inclined to think the glory of the new experience must have struck him dazed, and that was why he could not recall what went on in him at the time. Donal rose and went driving the cattle home, and Gibby lay where he had again thrown himself upon the grass. When he lifted his head, Donal and the cows had vanished. Donal had looked all round as he left the meadow, and seeing the boy nowhere, had concluded he had gone to his people. The impression he had made upon him faded a little during the evening, for when he reached home, and had watered them, he had to tie up the animals, each in its stall, and make it comfortable for the night. Next, eat his own supper, then learn a proposition of Euclid, and go to bed. End of chapter fourteen. Recording by Hannah Mary.